Welcome to our podcast. We hope that this content is a blessing for your life. Enjoy the message. talking about um, the, the beauty of uh, reading the Word of God. You know, I've been discovering these tremendous um, resources in, in the Old Testament. Sometimes we, we don't give enough attention to the Old Testament. But as in reading the, the, where I am in the uh, Bible app, um, I've, I've been treated to these passages that are so beautiful of um, uh, the Israelites in the desert and before going into the promised land and the holiness of God, the tabernacle, and so on. Well, there's one passage in there, uh, which is a faithful one, because, it, because of the outcome of that moment in the life of the Israelites. The Israelites were all of a sudden consigned to 40 years of roaming in the desert, whereas God's intent in the beginning was that they would only be there for a short time and then enter into the promised land and he would deliver them from their enemies and so on and so forth. He had promised all of this. He had um, delivered them it says, with, a, a strong, uh, with a, a strong hand and a, an outstretched arm. He had taken them through the Red Sea. He had destroyed all the armies that were set to um, destroy the Israelites. And he had performed all kinds of mighty deeds um, after they left uh, Egypt, and yet they still did not believe. Um, so, uh, because of that radical unbelief, God um, became very angry with them and said, you know what, none of you who left Egypt will enter the promised land. Only those people who, who are 20 years old or younger will enter into the promised land. The rest of you who are adults and who have rebelled against me and who have doubted my promises will die in the desert. I will keep you there as long as necessary. You will be in the desert for 40 years because of that radical questioning of my faithfulness and of my power moving on your behalf. And so we have this story here of the 10 spies. Many of you are familiar with the story of the, ten, of the 12 spies, really, but 10 who gave a bad report, quote-unquote, and two who gave a good report of what they had experienced in the, in the promised land when they spied it before going into it. So we have the story of uh, Caleb and Joshua and the other 10 spies. Who, all 12 of them were heads of tribes. These were princes of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were sent by Moses before they went into the promised land to scout it out, to see what it was. And um, so the story begins in Numbers uh, chapter 13, where it tells us in, in verse uh, 3 that all of these 12 leaders, they were leaders of the Israelites, and it gives all of their names, within which we see Caleb and Joseph. So um, in verse 17, we see that Moses gives these spies some uh, instructions. Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. And by the way, the notes for this message are in um, the, the uh, website, lionofjudah.org. If you go to the website and uh, you go to where it says notes on sermons, right after the announcements, you'll see it in the center, notes on sermons. You click there and click again to download uh, the message. You will see the notes that I've kind of written down for myself there, and you can just follow 
them along. I won't necessarily stick to the sequence, but the content I hope to cover as much as I can this morning. So uh, see what the land is like and, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of town do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do you do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land? It was a season for the first ripe grapes, it says here. So you see um, Moses as a great leader doing his due diligence. And you know, one little point there, faith does not exclude reason or prudence. You know, as a good military leader, uh, Moses is telling, go, see the land, explore its conditions, find out what the conditions are, because we're going to have to get in there, and we're going to have to fight probably to possess this land, despite God's promise. So he goes and he explores. And I think in life, before we undertake any major journey, any, any major efforts, we should be reasonable. We need to explore things. We need to explore the conditions. We need to assess our own uh, capacity to do things. So, you know, this idea of just reckless faith, uh, you got to nuance that many times. So that just a, that's an, an aside, really, but it's important to keep it in mind. Because I've heard people preach that um, uh, this fiasco took place because Moses sent uh, spies into the land and that, that indicated a lack of faith. Not necessarily. So in verse 23, it says that when they reached uh, the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. So why why is that detail included? Because it's showing that this land was extraordinarily fertile. It was a beautiful, um, luscious land. The land that God was going to take them into, indeed, was a land that, as, as the Lord said, flowed milk and honey. When God gives a gift, He gives abundantly. He gives beautifully and and uh, generously. So these guys, the one single cluster of graves, it was so heavy that two of them had to carry it on a pole. Imagine what that said about the promise of God. God had been faithful. He had promised them great abundance, and here you have an example of the abundance that awaited them. Um, and so uh, when the spies come back, at the end of their journey, they spent 40 days, which by the way is almost, you know, 40 is a symbol of um, completeness. They really did a thorough uh, scouting, uh, reconnaissance of the land. So they came back and showed uh, the people of Israel the fruit of the land. And so there in verse 27, they gave Moses the following account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow, indeed it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. You know, they're forced to admit that indeed, you know, there is that beauty and abundance that uh, God had said that uh, there was. And I think that they're saying that uh, as in preparation for what really matters to them, which is what follows in verse 28. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. These descendants of Anak were giants. These were guys who would be excellent baseball players in the 21st century. These were truly giants. I mean, they measured sometimes seven feet and and even more. These were very powerful warriors. They were descendants of a mysterious race 
of individuals who were very tall and very strong. The Israelites have never been very tall, even to this day. You know, they, so all of a sudden they see these guys so tall, so strong, and they were intimidated, greatly intimidated. So what are they, what are they focusing on? Well, they're, they're in passing, they recognize that the land is great, that it's good, that God was faithful in, in his predictions. But they hurry to what really matters to them, which is that these giants are there to defend their land. And, and they mention the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and so on and so forth. But then, in the middle of uh, giving this discouraging report to the people, Caleb, who is one of the, the, the two who saw things differently, and you know, often in life it's a matter of perspective. We, we all may see the same thing, but depending on what the lenses that you're filtering your experiences through will determine what you learn from it, whether you feel that it's too daunting to undertake a certain task. But these guys, they have a certain spirit in them. They have a certain attitude. And it's a, it's a strong, confident, faithful attitude. And they, say, Caleb's silence, he, he saw what was happening. There would be, the people were discouraged. The people were feeling threatened. He silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. So here you have this man, this young man, he's a relatively young guy, saying, hey, let's not be discouraged. Yes, there are those things, but we have this powerful God on our behalf. But the men who had gone up with him said, hey, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. I think that's telling. They don't say that they seemed like grasshoppers to the giants. But they saw themselves as insignificant, tiny, uh, powerless, before these very, very powerful warriors. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Well, yes, you know, they, in, in reality, they did seem, I have to correct myself there, um, they seem insignificant to them at all. But I think for me, the most telling part is that they first saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own eyes. So what happens in chapter 14, and this is what really gets God angry, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You know, they had this tendency, reading the Bible in one year, I noticed for the first time, I mean, because I've read all these different books that I often have read in different sequences, um, you see the Israelites, they, they were such complaining, grumbling, faithless, ungrateful, rebellious uh, people. Whenever something happened to them that seemed negative, they immediately complained about the leaders. Oh, they complained even about God, and they regretted having left Egypt. And so here, their, their distress and their discouragement and their doubting of God was particularly intense. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord, now here they, they turn to God, bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. 
Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Can you imagine the insult? Not only to Moses and to Aaron, who were the main leaders, but to God himself, who has invested so much effort. You can remember all the plagues, the, the, the drawn-out, complicated, conflictive process of all the plagues and all the, thing, all the things that God did, opening the Red Sea before them, giving them manna, on and on and on. And these guys, at the, at the, at the first appearance of conflict and difficulty, they fall apart. Their faith is not strong enough. Their rootedness in God is not powerful enough. So they insult God. They reject God's goodness. But again, it talks about Joshua and Nun, uh, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb in verse 6 of chapter 14. Joshua son of Nun and Caleb tore their clothes. Why did they tear their, tear their clothes? Because they were so distressed. It was a sign of mourning. It was a sign of heart break, their heart breaking. Because they realized what a terrible injustice to the heart of God the Israelites um, were committing. So they tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, guys, the land we, pass, we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. <clears throat> if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. Notice, if the Lord is pleased with us, that's the key. A land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. You notice that the ten spies said the land that we're going to is the land that devours um, its people. And here they're saying, no, we will devour our enemies because God is pleased with us and if he is pleased with us their protection is gone what you have here is somebody looking at circumstances through the lenses of God's promise faithfulness goodness power um, supernatural lenses he is seeing he is acknowledging <clears throat> all the difficulties but he is looking at something different their protection is gone but the Lord is with us do not be afraid of them so, you know what happened? The, the Israelites, they said, wow, this guy is amazing. We're so encouraged by his uh, report, by his spirit. Let's go and take the land. No. <laughs> they took out stones and wanted to destroy them, wanted to kill them. The, the, they started talking about stoning them. And then the Lord intervenes. And, you know, he's so incensed. He's so offended by their lack of faith. In verse 12, he says, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I will make you, he says to Moses, into a nation greater and stronger than they. A very interesting dialogue follows that we don't have time to get into. But Moses intercedes on their behalf. And he asks God, careful, be careful about your name, your reputation. Very interesting, very complex, complex profound uh, text here. And God relents and decides not to destroy the Israelites. Um, and, but he does punish them with 40 years of um, wandering in the desert. So know that those 40 years that the Israelites spent in the desert were not intended. It was a product of their unbelief and of their refusal to put their trust in God. And isn't that the case that many times we spend many years in our lives, you know, wandering around and um, not entering into that purpose 
filled life and, and of achievement and of success because we are not rooted in God. We are not following God's plan. We are not focused on Him. So what you see here is that, uh, and I want to talk about in the light of this topic that we have been discussing about resilience, um, we, we discussed uh, Ruth and, and Naomi and how they were able to overcome many, many uh, difficulties and losses. Well, I, I want to talk about resilience in a different light here, about being resilient and being overcomers. When we are facing situations in life that are daunting, that are threatening to us, that seem much larger and much more challenging than our capacity to deal with them. When we're undertaking a project like, you know, going to college or learning how to drive or uh, moving to another city or um, learning about technology and so on and so forth, you know, one reaction is fear many times, and I cannot do it. We think about our limitations. And another possible reaction is, yes, I can do this, and with God's help, I can go ahead and, and uh, be successful. So this idea, all of us confront different situations in life. It may be a, a financial problem. It may be a marital situation. It may be a situation with one of our children. It may be a failure that we have experienced, the loss of a job, um, a new career that we might be pursuing. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Uh, I was talking with a couple this week, uh, this past week, uh, who years, many years ago, they told me that they were thinking of, and I, I, they are here, as a matter of fact. I don't, maybe not. I, I don't see Senia and Rene Paulino here. But, you know, they, they, years, many years ago, well, maybe 10, 12 years ago, they, they told me that they were planning to begin a business. And it was a business of uh, daycare. And, uh, you know, I, I, as I, when I hear people sometimes speak about a new journey, a new venture, I was a little bit concerned, you know, in my mind, as I am sometimes in, you know, in those respects, but I, I didn't say anything to them, of course, because I, what they were undertaking was um, a bit of a challenge in many ways. Here you have uh, Latinos, um, Afro-Antillian Latinos specifically, who want to open a daycare in a very upper middle class, upper class, middle class area of the suburbs of uh, Boston. And uh, they had never done anything like this before. Um, they had not really been in a business as a complex as the one that they were undertaking. I had known them. I married them actually 25 years ago. I don't know, remember how much, 20 years ago at the very least, maybe more than that. And so I knew them very well. And I, you know, there were so many things that seemed very unlikely. Um, but they are people of faith and they had prepared themselves and they had decided that this is where they're going to put all their efforts. And actually they told me that just today, and I don't think I'm revealing anything major, that, you know, they had been going through some difficult financial circumstances at that point. And they were doing this at the age of 30-something, at the very least, maybe 40. And, um, you know, today I went to visit them in this lovely facility that they have, one of two in this area of uh, the, the suburbs of Boston. They have been successful, praise the Lord. They have had a lot of difficulties. They've had to overcome a lot of uh, obstacles. But some of those giants, like uh, people, you know, being racist or discriminatory toward them, they say, no, on the contrary. We have found so many people who enjoy the uh, focus that we have on Spanish in, for the children who come to the uh, um, daycare. We have made some amazing friends, and they showed me a whole wall full of thankful notes 
from people who have uh, had their children there for years and years. And, you know, I was again encouraged about undertaking great things and not being afraid. When you do your homework and you trust in the Lord and you are possessed of some level of confidence and so on, you know, then all kinds of wonderful things uh, can take place. And so, uh, you know, there, there are many situations in life when we are threatened by the magnitude of what we are undertaking. Realm, for example. And uh, we have to have the qualities that enable us to overcome, to go beyond that resiliency that allows us to undertake great things. And whatever it is, whatever your promised land is, you may be thinking of a baking business or something, whatever. God, if he's pleased with you and he's pleased with your project, and we will talk a little bit more about it, can do extraordinary things. Don't just focus on the negative. So you see that Caleb, particularly, his, and Joshua, they were made definitely from a different spiritual cloth than the other ten spies that were sent to explore the promised land. There was something in them that was unique and very different from the other ten. They were able to look beyond the giants who inhabited the land. And instead of focusing just on the problems, the difficulties, the threats, they focused on the God who had delivered them from Egypt and who promised that his power would be with them to overcome the great odds that they faced. So the question is, who am I focused on in my life? Am I focused on God, his power, faithfulness, goodness, this father who is a good, good father? Or am I focused on circumstances, obstacles, challenges, my own uh, imperfections and limitations? Because depending on what my focus and my point of departure is, that will often determine how successful I am in life and how much more I accomplish. So you, you see Joshua and Caleb being God-focused. If God is pleased with us, we will destroy them. We will possess the land. Joshua and Caleb did not see themselves in themselves. They saw themselves in God. You see, because when you look at yourself just in your past, uh, the mistakes that you've made, the mess that you have made perhaps of your life, the difficulty that you find yourself in right now, it seems insurmountable, then if you focus just on that, you are dead in the water before you even start. But the believer will get out of that rut and uh, see themselves in the light again of the good father, the endorsing father, the blessing father, the forgiving father, the patient father, the father who often uses difficult circumstances to take us to the next level, the father who has a long-term plan and who will often allow us, like the, uh, the prodigal son, to engage in things that seem destructive for a long time, to go to the, get to the bottom in order to bring us back and to bless us in extraordinary sorts of ways. So um, I, I've often seen that success in life, the capacity to undertake new things, is often connected to the self-esteem that we possess, our self-image. These guys saw themselves as grasshoppers. They saw these huge guys ready to defend their land, and uh, they, they saw themselves as absolutely worthless. You know, self-image is something that can be so... Um, uh, complicated at times. You know, people who have anorexia and bulimia, uh, often they will see themselves as fat and, and overweight when they look at themselves in the mirror. And others see that they're emaciated 
and that they're in radical need of food. But the mind is the most complex thing. You, I've learned that you, I cannot trust myself or you cannot trust yourself in how you see yourself. Because often you will see yourself in the light of your inferiority complexes, your wounds. You know, you will see that defect in your face or in your body. And your mind will magnify it when you see yourself in a photograph. And others say, what are you talking about? I don't notice that. Because we are projecting, you know, what we, what we fear often is what we will see, what we will give prominence to. So I, I've learned that I have to sort of rel, rel, relativize, if I can use the word, my mind. Everything is relative. I do not take every perception of your mind or your emotions as absolute. I think people who can uh, break away from that learn with maturity over the years. You learn that whatever you're feeling, don't trust it completely. You know, the, if anything I, I've learned is that the brain is the most relative thing and that often, you know, it depends on the sort of the chemical atmosphere inside of me. If my atmosphere inside of me is cloudy, everything will look cloudy. If my, the, the, the sort of the, um, the mix of uh, experiences, memories, emotions, outlooks inside of me is good, then it's, it'll be like seeing a picture in a sunny day. It looks resplendent, beautiful. But if it's a rainy day or a cloudy day, that same mixture of objects and, and of elements will look dismal. I mean, the objects haven't changed. The relationship between them hasn't changed. What has changed is the atmosphere, whether it's sunny or not. And it's like that many times. When we have uh, pains and uh, distortions and wounds of the past, our day inside is cloudy. Everything is, our, the sky is cloudy. So we will often filter the emotions and the experiences of life through that cloudy disposition. Now, when our disposition is sunny, all of a sudden, the same thing looks beautiful and very promising. It reminds me of what Jesus said, if your eye is good, if your eye is made of light, he says, then everything inside of you will be light. But if it's cloudy, everything inside of you will be cloudy. And so, you know, I think just this idea of learning that I, I, I should not make absolute my feelings because, all of, you know, there may, may be hormones that are right now clouding the, the sky in my being. Uh, it may have been a, uh, I slept badly the day before. It may be that just, I just need some food. How many of you know that when you eat in the morning, all of a sudden the world seems beautiful, that all of your existential problems that seem so profound, they disappear by magic? So you didn't need a $150 an hour psychiatrist. All you needed was a piece of toast and a fried egg. And I think it's like that. You know, you learn to take yourself with a grain of salt. You learn that, uh, you know, you, 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 there are other things that are much more important. The objectivity of what God has said in your life, what he has declared. That's really what matters. Your emotions, they can betray you. The Bible says that the heart is the most treacherous of all things. And one of the things that mature people learn to do is not to trust their heart too much. And Jesus has said also, not by, not by bread, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that flows from the mouth of God. I think uh, powerful people learn to follow every word that flows from the mouth of God, not whether they're full or hungry or weak or whatever. It is the objective reality of God. So Joshua and Caleb, they don't see themselves in the light of their own 
emotions and, and self-image, but they see themselves in God. So again, success is often connected to self-esteem and self-image. If we see ourselves as competent and worthy in God, this will give us the confidence to undertake great challenges, to believe that whatever we undertake will be successful and lasting. I was struck by this passage from uh, uh, Paul, 2 Corinthians 3. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you, 2 Corinthians 3, um, or from you, you yourselves are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by everyone. Very complicated, but this is what I want to focus on. He says, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. Paul didn't have any problems with ego, by the way. He had a very healthy ego, and, uh, if, but he glorified, he gloried in God, not in himself. But he knew when he had done something good and worthy. He says, you show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not in ink, but with the spirit of the living God and so on. But then go down to verse 4. He says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. He uses that term in Christ very often. Not that we are competent in ourselves. This is what I'm interested in here. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But our competence comes from God. If you can take anything from this sermon, think about that and put it in your refrigerator. My competency, my capacity, my worthiness comes not from me. It comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Always remember that it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on the great childhood that you had. It doesn't depend on the great job that you've done of your life. It doesn't depend on how well endowed you have been with intelligence or beauty or energy or grace. It really doesn't depend on that. It depends on God. Your competence to navigate successfully the complexities of life and the challenges of life, it doesn't depend on you. It depends on God. And I think people who are entrepreneurial, like the Apostle Paul, they are possessed of this radical focus on God. It's not me. It's God. So Joshua and Caleb also, they understand, guys, it's not about how big the giants are. It's not how small we are. It's not how wide and huge this land is. It depends on who we are in this God who has um, embraced us. Entrepreneurial people generally are possessed of this, what I call a healthy inner core. They don't even know that they possess it many times. But they have this block, solid block of uh, uh, confidence and uh, self-esteem that grounds them wherever they go and wherever they move. And it doesn't depend on any physical, emotional, or anything. It's just that block that the Holy Spirit of God in them gives them. Um, It enables them to see themselves as wholesome and deserving. Now, Christians believe that this wholesomeness doesn't come from them, but rather from this loving God that has adopted them and endowed them with His worthiness. You know, uh, when it says, for example, the righteousness that we have, it's not us. It is the righteousness of Christ in us. So we may be filled with all kinds of limitations in our life. I mean, we may have had all kinds of wounds and deformations and, and abuses. 
But, you know, in Christ, all of that is it's rendered meaningless, really. When you become so focused in Christ that you forget that you were abused sexually as a little girl. Or that your father died when you were 12 years old or your mother. You know, God is perfectly capable of making up for all of those things. But you cannot dwell excessively on those things of the past except to use them to be greater. Except to see that God had a plan and a purpose for that. And that he was using all of that for something even greater that he had in mind. Now, God could have destroyed all of those uh, giants, and uh, just as he did with the Egyptians. But no, I mean, he had plans. The, the, the Israelites were going to learn lessons about faith and uh, about principles of Scripture. God doesn't remove obstacles, but he gives you the power to overcome them if you trust him enough. So um, another passage that I like in this sense is 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 9. It says, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The Israelites were adopted by God, not because of their greatness. He said, you were the smallest of the tribes. It wasn't because of their righteousness. You guys are a bunch of, you know, whatever. These were reprobates. These were people who were ungrateful, radically sinful. Says, God, I didn't, I didn't, don't ever think that I chose you because you were good or because you were great or beautiful. No, I chose you out of my own sovereign love for you. Just because I said yes. Just because I said so. And, uh, you know, God has chosen you not because of anything that you deserve. He, he will use you. He will give you power. He will bring you into success because, because he, he wants to. Because he's like that. Because he's a good, good father. And that's all. You know, and that's, that's really uh, the beauty of it all. Uh, and he says, the grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. You see, there was nothing that you could have done to earn it. It was simply God doing it. When we focus on our deficiencies, when we think of the poor track record that we have in life, when we focus on all the negative life experiences that have shaped our self-image, I mean, it's, it will be inevitable that you will lack the confidence to undertake ambitious actions. You will be, as we said earlier, you will be conservative. You will nurture every bit of money and, and goodness that you have. You will be like Scrooge, you know, counting your coins because, uh, you know, you have a poor, uh, you, you have a sense of frailty. You got to keep things because you never know when you're going to need them. But when you know that you have this father who's a provider, then you can afford to be generous because you know that he will provide more. He will give more. So you can, you can undertake new projects in your life. When you know that you have God's uh, blessing in your side, in your uh, favor, you don't have to sort of say, you know, I, I'm just going to keep what I have um, because if I risk it, I may lose it all. You know, you dare to undertake new things. You don't do like the uh, uh, unfaithful servant who kept his talent hidden under a mattress because he was afraid that he would mess up and lose it and waste it and then get punished for it. No, you invest it. And it's like that, you know, living an entrepreneurial life, you don't stay in the safe. You don't operate out of a conservative attitude because you know that you have this incredible, this benevolent giant, infinitely big, 
who is working on your behalf and on your side. Joshua and Caleb had this sense of confidence and worthiness. Even before they had undertaken the great challenges that awaited, in the case of Joshua, he was going to be Moses' successor. And by the way, why did God choose him? Because he had this entrepreneurial spirit. Because he had this radically uh, focused uh, uh, mind on him. But even before Joshua crossed uh, into Canaan, God already remind, had already reminded him very specifically that he was with him. You know, right before they enter into the promised land and uh, cross the, the river, the Jordan, God speaks alone to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. And he says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Wow, can you make that your own confession? Can you, can you uh, believe that that is for you as well? Because these things are not there just for us to kind of, you know, academically read them. They're there because they are to be transferred to us. These are promises of principles that if we employ them, they will also be true for us as well. So he says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. How many of us can be possessed of this idea that no matter what happens in my life, I am more than conqueror. I can do all things in Christ. You know, many times we say these things, but when it comes to getting a driver's license or learning about technology or going back to school, many of us wimp out. And then we, when we go to church, we're like gung-ho. Yes, I can do all things in Christ. Well, it means, it means that. It means that you can undertake the challenges of life, whatever they might be, and you can overcome them even if you doubt it. Just try it. Begin walking by faith. Trusting what God has declared. And you will see that the, the, the sea opens up before you. Countless times in my own life, I cannot tell you how many dozens of times I have undertaken things that seemed very discouraging in their prospects. And I undertook them just because God says that I can do it. And I have forced myself to do it while I fear and while I deny in my mind that I can overcome. And then somehow the Lord opens the sea before me. People think that sometimes when you undertake projects that you're full of faith and not doubting and, you know, gung-ho. Many times I tell you, you, you undertake projects trembling and shaking all the way into success. I'm one of those who I, I agonize more than I should. Uh, but I do it anyway because God says it and he promises it. Now, he says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And today we can say, as I was with Joshua and Caleb and Moses and the Apostle Paul and Peter and the first church in the first century, so I will be with you in the 21st. In the middle of COVID, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. You remember how messy the Israelites were, how sinful, how ungrateful. And to this day, God has not left them either. They've had to pay a hefty price for their disobedience, but God has stuck with them through thick and thin. Be, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. You know, I wish I had more time to, there's a lot of other principles. I'm going to leave it here. I don't know if I'll have a chance to get back but, uh, you know, the notes are there, and uh, you, can, you can 
glean many other things. You know, resilience in life is not, is not about um, having it all together. You know, it's not about initially having a bag of goods that guarantee you success. It's not about having lived a perfect life um, or the fact that you've measured things, you've done the homework, and mathematically, it looks like, yes, you can, you can pay the house, you can, um, you know, uh, succeed in that academic venture or in that business that you're thinking or that you can repair your marriage that is now in shambles and you can bring it back or that, yes, you can overcome that addiction or that depression that has followed you all your life. You know, success in these things, it, it doesn't depend on you or your capacity. We have to become God conscious. God has to become so powerful in us, so present. We have to become so obsessed. He has to occupy our horizon to the point that really we don't have, we don't have uh, space to see anything but Him. And that's why I think it's so important. Because, you know, I'll talk about that. How, how do I get out of, uh, you know, uh, all of those things that have made me the way I am? Because often you hear an invitation to engage and to trust God and so on. But, you know, it's easier said than done. Sometimes our neurology has been so burned with um, suffering and uh, abuse and uh, loss that we have to reprogram we, have, we need a new connections, new synapses, if you will. And that's a lengthy process. It's a very much of a physical process at times. It's not just a, you know, get over it. And uh, it takes a long time to do it. But I've tell, I, I'm telling you this, that as you become more God conscious and you stop thinking that that giant that has been beating you in the back for years and years can be conquered all those fears, the, those uh, uh, defeatist attitudes can be overcome. You can change your life around. I mean, you can overcome anything, anything. There is nothing in this world that can separate you, it says, from the love of God that is in Christ, from the goodness that God has in store for you, the, the, the wonderful plans that He has. Nothing that you have done can um, destroy God's program except your capacity to believe him and to believe his goodness and to believe his good purposes for you do not do not uh, conform your life to sameness to all the addictions that you've been dealing with and all the difficulties that you have had know that uh, God's endorsement of you his rabid dogged commitment to your success and your joy and peace and greatness as a human being, as his children, uh, nothing can take you away from that. Except, again, your little faith. See, God had all kinds of plans for that first generation that left. You know, when he took them out of Egypt, and this is one of the mysteries that, you know, he, God, I know he's omnipotent, I know that he's sovereign, I know that nothing can uh, change ultimately what he wants to do. But what we are told here is that God says, you know, I, I was going to take you guys into the promised land, but now all of you who have so severely dishonored me and my promises, you will not enjoy 
my blessing. And, and you know, so how many great moments in our lives have been lost because we did not trust God enough? How many amazing victories we have uh, seized or, or, or rather failed to experience just because in the moment when greatness passed by us and invited us to join it, we were afraid of how stormy and how bumpy the ride was going to be. And we looked more at the few little kernels of goodness that we had that we needed to keep rather than the massive treasure that we were being invited, being invited to acquire by trusting in the Lord that he would open the sea that he would vanquish the giants as he did only you really ultimately have the power to undo God's plans for your life so this morning the word of God invites you and me to become focused on him to focus on his heart to focus on his goodness his extraordinary incomprehensible mercy compassion forgiveness, understanding of who we are, that we are but dust, as the Bible says, that as a father has mercy on his children, so does God have compassion on those who love him and fear him. Embrace God's goodness. Embrace God's good plans for your life. Take your giants, take a photograph of them, put them on the refrigerator and say, I'm going to vanquish you. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to eat you like bread as a Joshua and Caleb said, because God is with me and I cannot fail. So Father, we embrace your goodness. We embrace your perfect plans. We confess that as Jeremiah 29 says, you have, the plans that you have for us are good. They're of good and not of evil. And that you're radically committed to giving us these things that we yearn for. That you want us to have quality lives. That you don't want us to live from hand to mouth. You are committed to joyful old age, healthy life, plentiful supply. That you, have, you, you want to bless our children. You want to bless our marriages. You want to bless this nation where there are many who fear you and who are praying and interceding. That you want to bless your church. That failure is not an option for those that are embraced by you. We welcome your goodness this morning. And we thank you because you are indeed a good good Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more resources like this in our website, leondejuda.org, and in our social networks by searching for Congregación León de Judah. We look forward to being with you again. God bless you.